Hello and welcome to Talking Events, the event industry podcast brought to you by Event Industry News, being recorded today from the Ticket Script offices um, in the heart of London and in the heart of the Silicon Roundabout District, uh, I suppose as we refer to it, where an awful lot of, uh, of fantastic event uh, companies now base themselves. Um, thanks very much to the guys from Ticket Script for allowing us to set up the studio and record the podcasts from their offices. Um, today's episode, looking at access control management. Um, joining the podcast today, uh, from TicketScript, we welcome Toby Dyer. Toby, good afternoon. Good afternoon. Uh, from Intellitix, we welcome Carl Martin. Carl, thanks for joining us. Pleasure. And from Ticketeer, Ross Mellon. Ross, thanks for joining Talking Events. Thanks for having me, James. Um, let's dive straight in and ask a simple question. What is access control management? What do we mean by it and how does it affect organisers? Who wants to pick up the baton and run with this one? Can I go first? Is that right? Certainly. Far away, well, Ross. Um, I think the best way to describe it is um, a fancy barcode. It's a, an elaborate barcode that means now people can facilitate uh, better access control, which is literally entry into an event, but also monitoring around event as well. Uh, to ensure you can track people in real-time data, which for, for event organisers is essentially important in this day and age. Toby? Uh, I think you're completely right. I think data these days is completely uh, completely valuable. I mean, for post-event reporting as well, it's uh, fantastic to be able to see when your clients arrive on site, um, what they're doing around site, um, and that can even help you with staffing levels as well. Absolutely. And, and Carl, so when, when somebody comes to you and says, well, what is access control management? How, how does it impact on what you actually offer? Well, it's allowing uh, the promoter to control his own his event. It's allowing him to, to monitor the, the crowds. It's allowing him... Funny enough, Intellitex really got off the ground in the US because people were having real problems with scalpers and fraud mm. and stuff like that. RFID and access control has, has stopped that. And now it's beginning to come into Europe. So fundamentally, we're talking about a way, when we're talking about access control management, of a way of, of identifying ways to reduce fraud, to minimise forgery, to improve security, um, to reduce unwanted secondary sales of tickets. So uh, uh, those the sort of elements that we're talking about. Exactly. Very much so. So isn't isn't old secondary ticketing unwanted? <laughs> <laughs> that, I think that's a subject that's for a completely topic. other e- yeah. for, for another episode, and, and we'd be delighted to have you back to to offer any opinion on that one. Um, so how is it being improved, and how has it improved already, and where can it be improved further on? So where were we ten years ago, Carl? I'm looking at you. Don't take that in any as any sort of hidden. But but <coughs> looking back on the industry, what were the problems that we used to face, and how have the modern ticketing methods allowed us to combat no, some of those issues? What you're going? We're not a ticketing company. Okay. We're a company that produces RFID software and hardware, and we were the the original. Um, and we've developed it over the years. Ten years ago, really, people were just talking about it. You know, it's the last four or five years where it's grown and it's grown like topsy. You know, somebody's opened a box and away it's gone. Um, it, it is a rapidly developing industry um, which you can see improvements in monthly almost. I think the point of any technology itself is that what well, the definitional technology is the application of processes, especially in the industry, to make our lives easier. Okay. And we have this innate personality as human beings to surround ourselves by luxury to make those processes a lot simpler. And that's exactly what access control does. It makes an event run smoother uh, and a lot simpler for an actual organiser to to keep track of all stakeholders within an event itself. 
if you don't mind me dwelling on it for, for, for a second then, Colin, and specifically what, what it is that you do, um, when we talk about RFID and, and uh, as a term has been around in the industry now for a few years, and I think it's fair to say most people in the industry understand the basic concept, at the very least, of what it is. Just tell us exactly what Intellitix does <laughs> and what it, what it provides. In a, can, can you surmise that in a nutshell so that people understand exactly what it is you can offer? Yeah, RFID basically is fundamentally a wee chip that goes onto a wristband um, or a card, more often a wristband because that's more secure, and on that, on that chip information is placed, and it is only information that can be read by certain, by certain um, apparatus. Sure, okay. And so it, it allows you, for instance, if, if you've got a VIP going to a, an event, that VIP can come through the gates with the rest of the GA, the general audience, but then he or she can go into an area where there's a, a restriction. So you can build on these chips you know, various zones of, of access. Because we don't talk about ticketing anymore now, you know, we talk, because this confuses people. It's not to say there isn't a need for ticketing companies, because there is, mm -hmm. because somebody has to sell the entry. Mm. But it's when somebody wants to enter, they've got, a, they've got a, a chip on a wristband, which is secure, because it's more than access control, it's now cashless as well. So that chip has, has got in it their money. Because the means of entry nowadays, even when you say the word ticket, is not necessarily the rectangular ticket anymore, is it? It's, it's, it ticketing is a, is a process rather than the selling of a physical ticket now, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Very much so. And, and, and how is that? And we've all seen that the, the, the ability to, to deploy um, tickets in a digital platform, so using people's mobile phone, phones and, and tapping into what inherently people are carrying around in their pockets now. Um, how has it affected people's attitudes to how they buy the tickets and, and, and how that then impacts on access control and, and has it overcomplicated? Has it been a while to adjust the complication of using digital ticketing? I think this should be one of the biggest topics within today's subject is actually the adoption of things like RFID itself. I okay. mean it's only the last 10 years really that online ticket sales itself has soared. Um, gone are the days where you turn up to a box office at a physical venue itself. Uh, to buy a ticket. Um, places like Denmark, they still do that. They have completely different ticket rules yeah. to the rest of Europe. Mm. Um, and that stops the secondary market itself as well. Um, so the point I'm trying to make is that in terms of, say, online sales for ticketing, people are still struggling to adopt that. And I mean, I'm talking about Gen Xs as well, the older generation that still maybe don't know the ins and outs of computers, or as soon as you mention the word technology, it scares people off. So I think the importance of not just ticketing, but the common theme through access control, registrations, whatever you want to call it, is the education of adoption and then educating people as to why this can facilitate better events and make their life easier as well. Toby, nodding when he mentions the words educate, it, it, this is obviously something that, that you're keen to back up as well, is it? Yeah, very much so. I mean, five years ago, uh, when I first started at TicketScript, we were noticing that the main people that were using, for example, mobile ticketing, which is obviously uh, another form of distribution, was mainly students. So we're talking in the sort of kind of 80 to 25 range. Um, now, last year, we're looking at 50-50. So it really, really is taking off. Uh, has the adoption of ticketing, not just within the events industry, but for things like airlines and using, mm. you know, uh, apps to actually have your um, boarding pass on there, has the adoption of ticketing on a wider scale helped the event industry when it comes to adopting these, these new technologies? No. Really? I don't think so. Um, because if, if you look at the, the major use of RFID, for access control, etc., is festival sites. 
right. and, and large sports events. And people are loath to take a smartphone into that environment. Mm. Which is why, you know, the, the chip rules, frankly, or it will do. Um, um, for the purposes of the camera as well, and to back them up, we are saying um, a bit of shameless self-promotion. I brought Ticketeer's wristband, RFID wristband that we've just um, brought along as well. For those of you listening to the podcast, we'll, we'll put a, 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 a we'll tweet a photo out as well. So if you check the Twitter feed, we'll we'll take a photo of that. Exactly, and just the practicality of wearing that on your wrist, as opposed to carrying a smartphone or having a, a PDF ticket, a paper print at home ticket to enter an event, is the security levels of it, the practicality of it, the ease of access is why access control exists and it's literally to make people's lives easier. What's the process now for people that may be un unfamiliar with it, for uh, event organisers who have thought about it but who have yet to really go for it fully uh, for fear of not understanding the process, um, how are these actually issued out to people in advance? How would they turn up at the gate of an event with that? Well there's two ways. Um, there's, there's the swap situation where people turn up to the gate with either their phone or a piece of paper or an email or whatever that says who they are and there's a code on there and there's a swap done with for, for that piece of paper or that telephone into a wristband. There is an ID check as well, which is a, a further thing of, for security. Or there's the alternative, where we, which we're doing more and more, which is fulfilment, where people actually get sent their wristband beforehand. So they can register the wristband it's theirs, they can put money on it and it's safe. So they arrive and all they've got to do, the first time they go through the portals or the gates and they register, they, they just tap their, their wristband against the reader, um, they're registered and that, that thing is live and off they go. So on a similar train of thought, in, it, it, when we asked about the adoption of ticketing in a broader way outside the event industry, the adoption, particularly recently, of um, contactless payments. And we've had the Oyster system in London for a long time now, but more recently things like Apple Pay and contactless car payments seem to have really boomed. In the last uh, six to 12 months, I've noticed more and more people using contactless card payments. Again, as people understand those processes more in everyday life, does it help the event industry in, in promoting these sort of, um, th th these processes? I'd say so. I mean, simply for the fact if you go for cashless payments with your access control, um, say you, uh, for festivals, ticket sales is not their biggest revenue. Bar sales are, drink sales are, people drinking at a festival. So if somebody has the facility to, to prepay uh, a wristband and have no idea of what they're tracking, it sounds a bit conniving, but it's not at all because you're up front with the customer completely. Um, generally, they're going to spend more money by tapping their wristband than they would physically giving out cash or paying by debit card. And that's, that's another, obviously, USP that you would approach an event organiser with. Do these processes actually help the speed of ingress and egress from Oh, yeah, 100%. You, you think? Yeah. I mean, it, when, when, fingers crossed, everything's working well, we can get people through the portal in about three seconds. You know, and and all, all you've got is the stewards on the lands, on, on the air side, so to speak, watching and if a light goes red they stop the person they check it again if it's not right then they're, they're funneled into a customer service area where they're dealt with swiftly but when you're pulling people through you know and you've, you've got a gate Coachella for instance which is one sure of the yes it's, and, and it's you know within the industry it's known for having adopted yeah. contactless and RFID for a number of years now yeah. and was one of the pioneers and it was it? one it's one of our first was one of our first and and the, the, the crowds just coming through and co uh, in in um, Europe for Tomorrowland um, 
85,000 people and they're just streaming through. There's not, there's not queues, they're just coming through. Fingers crossed everything works though. What well, it, what, when it doesn't? There's fail-safes, obviously, as, as yeah. software companies, we have set fail-safes in, in place. And it's not about going back to dinosaur te uh, techniques. We've always got things planned to ensure. I mean, access control itself is just another form of a PDA scanner scanning a QR code yeah. itself. So if something goes wrong, we have backups for that. And we have, we have the capability, for instance, if, if power goes down or the, the internet fails, we can still get people through our portals, through our gates, for 45 minutes. One, one of the big things relating to digital ticketing to digital access control and management and being able to, to digitally monitor where people are going within a site is the data that it generates. And this is something that, that has been addressed and talked about on previous episodes of the podcast is the importance now placed on the generation and the capture of, of, of data by event organisers who, who want to know who their audience are, where they've come from, how they've found them, what they're doing. Um, how, how easy is it for them to, to monitor this in, in both real time and post event? Um, can they utilize something like the data that's captured during the process of using TicketScript as a means to, to, to purchase their ticket? Can they use that actually in real time when the event is live or is that really something they're gonna have to reflect on afterwards? Um, I think it's more of a pre-event um, situation if I'm honest with you. So for example, with TicketScript, you'll be able to tell um, where a client has come from, um, the processes they've gone through online, um, how they've arrived at, for example, a client's website, um, the purchase um, method they use, um, and then we can track them around site so we can see when they arrived on site, um, how they've interacted, where they've been, um, heat mapping them, and once they've exited, we can tell what time they exited, etc., etc., um, and indeed what gate. Um, and then we can give that information back to a client, and they can then really kind of use that as a marketing tool, um, and it also helps staff their event as well. Sorry, to back Toby up as well, which I probably shouldn't do with the competition <laughs> on air. Um, but in terms of live reporting itself, um, I used to work for a corporate um, events organiser, um, and we didn't, none of this ever existed. Um, and you had to go back, when you're trying to sign, uh, re-sign an exhibitor for next year's event, you had no hard evidence to say why you should rebook for £17,000 sponsorship package 12 months away from the next event again. You haven't even seen returns yet um, in terms of lead follow-up from the event. So if you can give someone real-time data and say, well, actually, no, you had a constant stream of people to your stall. Mm -hmm. You had these many people in your workshop listening to such and such give this presentation and actually deliver this hard evidence, paper-based or digitally, to a, a sponsor, to an exhibitor, and say, look, well, here's the facts. You're going to rebook now, aren't you? Uh, now, now, you've mentioned, actually, we're starting to, to look into the broader event industry. Sorry, Carl, you, you make a so point I, there I was before just we gonna, Yeah, sorry, I was just going to make the point. Real-time, all of this information is there for the the promoters when they're on site. So security can be checking out um, where numbers are, if a venue's getting too busy. Um, the, the <laughs> one of our clients actually looks to see what the bar taking's on when certain acts are on stage. And if the bar take goes up, he books that act again. Well, well because why, the, why wouldn't because you? The pe because the people weren't, weren't interested in watching the act, they'd be drinking more. And is there a bit, an ability, something I was keen to ask, is there an ability then to also engage with, um, let's say, the crowd management company? Yeah. You know, is, is, there, is there an ability to use something like RFID to actually engage with the crowd management company to, to monitor where people are going and how they're moving oh, within a site and using constantly. the simple sort of tap check-in function yeah. where if they're moving into a certain area? Not only in, but out as well. Mm. Right, okay. 
So that information. So you know what the yeah the, the movements there and the movements like the, the the reports are live, and as Toby was saying earlier, you know that information's there now. It wasn't. If you look at some of the some of the clients that, that we work with as well, we say within live music, and the reason this is so important is for capacity management, and because we live in an ever increasing politically correct world where health and safety is scrutinised at every single moment, especially at a public event where people's health is could potentially be under risk throughout the whole for anything like that. This information is essentially important to give to the, the correct authorities, a health and safety officer, even the police for capacity management, especially because of licensing as well. Mm. If you go five people over a capacity, please find out about that, you'll probably be shut down and fined thousands upon thousands of pounds. And it does come down to minute details mm. now, doesn't it, minute numbers, and it's no longer relying on the, uh, the security guy with his, his clicker in one hand in and in the left hand out. You'll still see people using those though. Yeah. <laughs> There's your fail safe. Yeah, exactly, the, 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 but that's the education we're talking about as well. People feel that that is a fail safe, but there are better processes in place, and again, it just comes down to education. I'm curious to know from all three of you what the user feedback has been like. So we're talking about the actual customers themselves. You know, we're in a, a, probably at a point now where this process and the digital ticketing and digital access control and RFID is at a point now where we can now reflect on user experience and user feedback. What have the customers of events actually said uh, as a, in response to using these processes? What feedback examples have you guys got? Um, initially, when you, when you, again, when you introduce something like this to market, uh, for some people it's quite obtrusive. They don't like, even with PDA scanner, sticking a scanner in someone's face, especially in European countries, i.e. Germany, they don't like that in, uh, obtrusion of, of personal space. Hmm. So educating, again, people why it's important and then when they actually start to use it is when they realise actually the practicality of it. So you can talk about it as much as you want, but until someone actually uses it, they're not going to realise how special it actually is. One thing promoters are, particularly in, in the European festivals, they will educate the people as much as they can beforehand. Mm. And you know, in, in the UK, um, it's the same. People buy buy their entry, their ticket, with respect, <laughs> <laughs> um, and then then they start to get the information. If if there's a fulfilment done where the wristband goes mm. to them, they get a piece of paper in there explaining everything that's going on. There's, there's websites, there's lines they can go to to be helped. So by the time they get on site, they're aware of, of what is going to go on. And mm -hmm. when you ask how how do people react, we do a, a festival called Snow Bombing in Meyerhofen in Austria, yep. where the, the town is taken over basically, but there are still lots and lots of shops and restaurants that aren't involved with the promoter, but they're actually coming to the promoter now and saying, can you put uh, readers into our they see the value our, in it. Our place, yeah. So that because people are coming in saying, Well, what can I pay with my wristband? Oh, forget <laughs> it. So the town is actually saying we want involved. There's an, there's another festival up north, um, which is on a, a, a like a nas national trust land. And they have their own uh, museum and bars and shops and things. They want to be part of it. So people do see that the the use of it. The practicality speaks for itself when you look at uh, things like Edinburgh Fringe, uh, Greater Manchester Fringe Festival is 35,000 people in 36 different venues. So to facilitate all that through say one central hub, you're going to need something that tracks people properly in different locations across a massive city and that obviously that's where access control RFID can come in perfectly. So even even if it's if it, it can be a free event, that you can still use it to your advantage yeah. um, to, to actually monitor which which venues people are going in and out of, yeah. um, and and 
how they could be tracked um, and their movements. What we touched on uh, some European events, Carl. Yeah. Um, again, to all three of you, um, is there a major contrast and a major difference between the adoption of some of these processes and technologies from country to country, just in Europe alone? I mean, are we seeing some that have really gone, yeah, we like it, and others who are really sort of lagging behind a little bit? I mean, yeah, totally. I mean, you know, we obviously started off in Amsterdam um, 11 years ago now, um, and they were a big uh, adapter of uh, mobile technology, and, you know, they're really at the forefront of using it at the moment. I would say we're a couple of years behind them. Um, we need a little bit of catching up to do. Okay. Um, it's interesting uh, you should say about Holland. Uh, one of the problems for RFID, uh, for, for cashless people like ourselves in Holland, is they still want the token. Because typically the Dutch will go to a festival, for instance, in a group of people, and there's one person that goes and gets the drinks all the time. There's a big pile of tokens on the table, but he goes and gets the drinks. Quite why? I don't know. It's That's a cultural color. thing. Yeah. 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 Well, Fatboy Slim Smile High Club and Tobacco Dock still do the beer token things. Yeah. And you, you get a wristband on the door for, say, VIP or different segments that you're allowed into, but you, then you have to go buy beer tokens to go purchase a beer from the bar when you can facilitate everything in one place. I mean, am I missing something here? Oh, it sounds really, really simple to me. Yeah, you're, you're, you're <laughs> it's funny. making a problem with the, it. The caterers yeah. are the people who are picking it up better than the, than the promoters. A lot of promoters are going, well, you know, let, let's, let's have more proof, let's see who else is using it. Caterers are knocking the door down. You know, we want this because they know it improves sales, they know it improves their cash flow, because the cash doesn't flow out, it goes into the till, through RFID, so they know what they're getting. You know, they, there isn't theft. They build, typically nowadays, caterers will build in a tip for the staff, so the staff know they're, they're gonna get something out of it. Everybody's happy. I think geographically as well, back to your question, if you follow, yeah. obviously, the major, the major festivals um, around Europe, so we can look at, what, Croatia now, Czech Republic, obviously, um, Spain is huge, south coast of Spain. It's generally where these countries that are adopting it better because it's already in practical use and people are seeing it in, en masse about how, how good it is. So geographically, I'd say the Eastern European uh, countries, such as uh, Croatia, Czech Republic, Hungary, obviously Hungary of course, yeah. where Intellitics are uh, and based. And, and Sigit Festival in, in Hungary were the first to adopt cashless. And RFID and, and, and sort of contactless yeah. as, yeah. As, as a concept. Yeah. Um, moving away from, from the cashless payment side of things and, and back to the access, um, what what level of of, um, uh, of interaction do you have from a production side when you're dealing with the access of uh, staff into an event or, or production crew into an event? Because major events will have uh, hundreds and sometimes thousands of actual staff that are moving on and off site, as well as thousands of customers themselves. Um, how much work do you guys do with that side of things? I mean, me personally, a great deal. I mean, accreditation is a big part of our business. Sure. I yeah. mean, whilst we do sell a lot of tickets for events, we also send out invitations to all of the staff um, and all of the artists. So days before the event actually takes place, we'll be on site setting up a wireless network, setting up um, an access control solution for everyone to get accredited. Is this some, something that specifically in, in Ticket Script's um, uh, own case that people don't realise sometimes? They, they think it's really sort of the public... Oh, very much so. the consumer very much side so. rather than the staff access. I mean, it completely depends on how the client wishes to use our platform, but it is one thing that we do a lot of that I don't think the general public would uh, would know. Absolutely. And Carl, presumably the RFID, the wristband concept, and having the, the, the chip in there and allowing, you mentioned VIPs moving from one, being able to come we, in through it, general admission then into a certain area, the same can apply for production. Right across the board. 
you know, it, press it goes, as well. It, yeah, it's everybody. Everybody that's on that site will be will, will have a wristband and will have the the restrictions or the access as as and how they need it. Staff, for instance, they, their meals will be loaded onto it. So whether it's a, a lighting guy, whether it's a steward, whether it's a runner, you know, they, they've they've all got the access. They you've got the control and also um, you know, the, the, the management feel better because they know where these people are they know when they're on and off site is is there a danger and this is something I wanted to ask today is, is there a danger that by reducing the human element involved in access control by making it digital by you know, scanning a terminal or touching a terminal that the, by removing the human element there is perhaps an unknown margin for error because there, there's less human contact and also that people coming to an event ultimately are there for some form of human contact and it could be detrimental to an event by reducing the element of person-to-person -person interaction that's taking place. Sure, I think the idea is that it's supposed to facilitate networking better so we're, we're through the doors, we're actually on the site itself and you want to, I'm going to use Tomorrowland as an example because I went years ago and I was fascinated by how I met, how many Facebook friends I got just by touching watch to watch. Yeah. Um, which, is an, it, which does facilitate better networking itself and sometimes um, for example you might meet somebody end up having too many beers never see that person again but because you have this bit of technology you can keep in contact with that person 365 days of the year now if you so wish if they haven't blocked you on Facebook um, in terms of the lack of human element I think technology itself has taken away from that and I don't think you should be looking at say event technology um, as, as a distraction of that or as a precursor of that I think we should be looking at social media things like Facebook and Twitter that are taking away the human element itself but again that's a matter of perception and how you look at it some people think it facilitates better networking some people feel it's creating this void so I, I love the way he keeps plugging my gigs I mean Tomorrowland <laughs> Tomorrowland is one of ours and, and, and this technology has developed because the promoters have come to us and said you know how do we do how can we do this how can we improve our image how can we get ourselves out there and branding is as important as, as access control or cashless but in terms of of uh, the human contact when these people are going through the gates there's still human beings there you know they're not just herded through like cattle you know and if it goes red you get zapped there are people there talking to you look and that's one of the things i think all of us do we all try and have or we all have customer service points where people can go and help, uh, be helped. And, and when we're talking about that human interaction, again, Toby, from a, as, a, as a digital platform, how important is it for you to convey that there is ultimately in the background this, this human element? We're in your offices today, and we can see a team of people constantly working and, 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 and working on this in the background that people who are interacting at the front end of things maybe won't see. So how important is it that, that collectively the digital industry, when we're talking about access and the ticketing process, maintains a human element to it in some way, shape or form? Oh, massively. I don't think that people ever want to go to an event and not interact with a human being. I mean, that would just be, uh, I mean, don't get me wrong, I have been to certain events where I wouldn't want to interact with the, uh, the security staff, but I mean, it's a very key thing for us. There's some people you do want to avoid, obviously. Yeah, <laughs> very much so. RFID might make it impossible to avoid that person, but that's the only downside <laughs> I can see. <laughs> and of course, the flip side is that some people are actually uncomfortable, aren't they, with, with 
the, the, secure, the ticketing process of arriving and showing a ticket and having it checked and having to speak to people. Some people are actually more comfortable the other way around, aren't they? That they, they feel more at home being zapped and welcomed in and thank you and they can go off and do what they want to do. Again, certain European countries yeah, exactly. like the anonymity, um, again, the Germans are very private people. So to, trying to introduce and educate them on something like this, when they think that the CIA and the FBI and every other government agency out there are, are seeing what they're eating for breakfast anyway, it's hard to convince people of how this is going to work. And we're not there to invade people's privacy. I mean, it's a public event. We're monitoring you at, the, at this event. And there are switch-offs that, that can turn off technology at, at the organizer's discretion at the end of the day, or even the delegates or the stakeholders' discretion. Um, does it become difficult when, when you're managing, uh, sort of slightly on a tangent, but does it become difficult when you're managing the data that's generated and collected by all of these processes as, as opposed to the old traditional ticket there's my ticket thanks very much you didn't know who the person was that came in through the door um, is it difficult to manage the data when you're working cross-country with all the different laws you've got to apply to and every country now will have their own laws governing how data is managed and shared particularly in sh I think sharing is, is is the key one here there was new legislation brought in last year in Europe I believe and, and forgive me if I'm being vague on this I'm sure you'll know more about about it than me but in terms of sharing information and data that's generated in Europe particularly across to the US and vice versa um, are there issues that that, that that have to be dealt with now um, are we getting too carried away and too worried about it again I think it's, it's political correctness gone mad as long as you're not abusing that information but I suppose there's no way of knowing who's abusing that information who you're selling that information to as well um, for us we're headquartered in, in Madrid in Spain um, have done for the last six years but when we came to the UK we had to um, put servers in islands under UK um, data protection laws itself because having a server in Spain apparently was infringing on certain laws again I don't know the details of it myself just I know it was a headache to sort that out um, I, I, I'm going to bring in again th thanks for answering that and, it, and it's sort of a little bit off tangent and I'm going to go back to the actual practicalities of access management um, and managing it themselves as an event organizer and I'm looking particularly uh, a product called flow that you guys do uh, Toby at ticket script yeah. and and essentially that's handing over this this simplicity of digital access management directly to the organizer isn't it and, and, and actually reducing costs of staffing I suppose in it some is respects, indeed isn't it? I mean flow is an application we released um, 18 months ago um, it's available on Android and iOS um, and uh, all you need to do no matter how many tickets you sell is just download an application to your phone um, it utilises the camera um, and turns that into a scanner. Um, so at any one time, if you have a random entrance that's opened up on the other side of a site, you know, if you need to do some accreditation very quickly, just download the application and validate a ticket then and there. And is it, is it important that really, that fundamentally, we make sure that we are keeping these processes as simple as possible rather you, than yeah, overcomplicating yeah. them? You just, you just you use the word fundamental and fundamentally, yeah, it should be simple. The simpler the better. Because, again, I've said it before, I'll say it again, I've seen a lot of, of tech come to the market in the event industry that arguably could be guilty of being overcomplicating over yeah. something that wasn't complicated in right. the first place. I mean, um, I'm not referring to Toby's flow because I no. don't know, know enough about that, but there are, there are some serious problems out there with people coming up with an app and, and it going in. And, and when you start to look at what these, some of these apps are doing, it's not us that's sucking the information out of things. You know, it's a lot of these apps are sucking information off people without them knowing. But from a hardware point of view, going back, going back, going back to Flowtober, you're utilising something that, 
from a hardware point of view, everybody's got in their pocket. Everyone's got in their pockets. You're quite right. You know, companies not going out and having to invest massively in scanners and 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 PDAs and touch points and things like that. And just to touch on a previous subject, which is, you know, kind of related to flow as well, um, the information that we do gather and the information that we do collect when we scan a ticket, when we sell a ticket, TicketScript contains that. We don't sell that information on and it's retained in the UK. The only people that have access to that is the client and ourselves. Yeah. So that, yeah, to promote gives access. Yeah, quite. But, but they're the sole benefactor. You can't, control, yes. you can't control what a promoter does. With the data? Yeah. And with the information? This is quite true. Yeah, but that's unfortunately, unfortunately, yeah, unfortunately that's the it's where T's and C's come in. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, that's the fine print, isn't and it? And going going right back to one of Carl's first comments, I think again a subject T's and C's and controlling the data once it's been handed over, a subject for another debate, another day, perhaps. Mm. Um, we're going to bring uh, to a conclusion this particular episode of Talking Events. Um, and thank today's guests, um, Toby Dyer from TicketScript. Thank you for joining us, Toby. Thank you for having me. Carl Martin from Intellitix, thank you very much for your time today. Oh, pleasure. Thank you. Ross Mellon from Ticketeer, thanks very much for joining the Talking Events podcast pleasure and being mine. on today's show. Um, we will tweet links to all of the guys, uh, companies and organisations uh, from the at Talking Events uh, Twitter feed so that if you've got any questions or would like to get in contact directly with our guests today, you can do so. You can subscribe to the Talking Events podcast via iTunes. You can subscribe to our YouTube channel, Event Industry News, and a video of today's podcast is also going to be available on eventindustrynews.co.uk. Thanks again to our guests. You've been listening to Talking Events. (music) 